This podcast is a frank discussion on sexual assault. If you are in the USA for free and confidential help, call 1-800-865-HOPE in Australia for confidential counseling and support in cases of sexual assault or abuse. Please call 1-800-RESPECT. Kim Rodenbaugh Llewellyn is my dear friend and an inspiration to me. Kim is also a former Olympic swimmer. She's an NCAA champion for the University of Texas Longhorns, and she featured on the iconic American Wheaties box. Kim is a motivational speaker and author of her powerfully revealing book, Master of the Mask. In her book, Kim details her horrific journey through the bondage of trauma after surviving multiple sexual assaults in her lifetime, beginning at the age of seven. Through sheer strength of character, commitment to healing, and her unshakable faith in God, Kim takes us on a walk to uncover who was living behind her mask. It is my privilege and honor to welcome a true champion in life, Kim Rodenbaugh-Llewellyn, to Open Stance. Kim Rodenbaugh Llewellyn, how are you? I'm good. How are you, my friend? I'm really across well. the ocean. Yeah, Kim, where does this podcast find you? Where are you in this world? I am in Texas. I'm a Longhorn grad, so hook them horns. <laughs> but I'm in uh, I'm in Texas, kind of outside of Fort Worth. I live in the country, out in the middle of nowhere. It's kind of nice. Oh gosh. And here I am down on the bottom of the planet in Sydney, Australia, <laughs> but it seems like we're in the same room. Isn't that incredible? It's great. Well, I just want to take a minute to welcome you to the Open Stance podcast. Um, this is a super powerful day for not only myself, that's a small piece of it. It's a um, very, very powerful day for a lot of people who may be listening in but I just really want to let you know from the bottom of my heart that you personally gave me a shot of courage, inspiration, belief, um, and you, you tapped into my truth in a way that allowed me to open channels and fine tune this, this effort, um, create open stance and make it a tangible effort to send hope into the world for people that need it. Thank you for having me on. I'm so honored to be here and uh, I love you dearly and hello to everybody that's listening. Why don't I turn it over to you? Um, do you remember or could you share with our listeners how we met and how our friendship began? Oh gosh. Well, um, I about Gosh, I guess it's been a year and a half ago now, right? Almost two years this summer. Nearly two. I wrote, yeah, I wrote an article about, um, and I know we'll get into the sexual abuse that I went through in sports, but um, <clears throat> I wrote an article about my experience. Um, I just felt very compelled to, to write about it. Uh, and I know we'll get more into that later, but um, our mutual friend, Nancy Hogshead, uh, that, that, article kind of went viral. Um, people were sharing it on their Facebook pages. And Nancy Hogg said, I think it was her, her Facebook page, right? That she, she was, she was also, she was also on your U S 1984 Olympic swim and team. Nancy, and I, Nancy, Nancy is, uh, she was an Olympian in 1984. She was one of my teammates. Um, she also has her story of, and it's public. So she doesn't mind people sharing it, but she has, uh, she was raped at, at Duke University. You guys um, went to the same university, um, different years, but she, um, she became a lawyer. Um, she got through that and became a lawyer and she's just a warrior for uh, sexual abuse victims, um, especially in sports. And so she has been a big mentor and help to me in when I was writing my article and then when I was writing my book, but she took my article and, and blasted it on her Facebook. Um, and you were one of the ones that, that read that. And, um, uh, that's how we got connected. And that's, 
how it all started almost two years ago. And so you and you reached out to me and you can take it from there. Um, just as you said, it, it, I guess it touched you and it, it helped, um, yep. you just kind of, like you said, crystallize your vision of what you're doing today and it's evolved. And, and I've been able to be here with you to see you just, um, this, this whole thing evolving into such a beautiful thing. And what I believe is going to be such a gift to so many people. So yeah, that's yeah, how so this all started. Another thank you. And again, it's a real, and um, it highlights again, how powerful it is to have people like yourself use your voice, uh, going through the struggles that you have over many, many, many years of your life. Mm -hmm. um, for you not only to have the focus to manage your own aftermath, uh, you're in a position now that you're able to share the power of your voice with others, which directly affected me. I am also a survival uh, survivor of sexual assault. I was at Duke. I was raped by another student athlete at Duke. So it was that athlete on athlete um, situation that you represented and spoke about in your article. So that was the extremely compelling connection for me because as you talk about in your book, Master of the Mask, uh, there's a lot of literature and there's a lot of reference to abuse at the hands of coaches and adults and teachers and um, it's horrific on every level but there is very little um, out there when you're here when you hear about athlete um, violating another athlete especially somebody that um, is is so close in your circle um, i right. shared a training room with this other athlete Mm -hmm. um, went to class with this athlete, saw him every day. And similar to what I read and understood about you, you were um, abused and assaulted by, um, of the seven perpetrators in your life, three were male swimmers on the US yes. swim team that were your teammates. Um, yes, yes. That level of trust that is violated, never mind the physical abuse, is is lifelong. And that's when I thought, something pulled me so strongly to you through that article and that's when i reached out and, and wrote to you you got back straight away and it's just gone from there but just highlighting again to our listeners that one moment that someone like yourself was able to put an article out use your voice in some capacity touched another life and in this case i know yes. for me personally um it has done wonders so uh, even little gifts keep going and and this is why there's a it's a real core of where open stance, uh, the genesis of, of where this all comes from. Um, Kim, in your book, Master of the Mass, so you wrote that article. In, was it 2019? Um, so I wrote it in 20, uh, that was in 2019. And, and I did want to highlight just to, to piggyback on what you said. Um, and I know we'll get into this, but part of my story was athlete on athlete abuse. And I read so many articles like you of, of of course, uh, coaches abusing their their athletes, and then the the tragedy of all those precious gymnasts who were sexually abused by Larry Nasser, and but the stories didn't look like mine. And I was at a point where I was well and healthy enough to finally share my story. And I've been praying for an opportunity, um, but it just it, it, the more articles I read, the more I felt compelled. And that's when I reached out to Nancy Hogshead, who said, Kim, out of all the people who have come to me, you're the first one who's come and talked about athlete on athlete abuse. She said, not that it's not happening, just her personally. It's just for some reason, people weren't talking about it. And I don't understand why that is uh, other than maybe, you know, shame. Um, I know shame is a big, big one for all sexual abuse victims, but maybe sometimes when it's a, it's a peer, maybe people, you know, we hear so many lies and I, and I'll, I'll get into that later, but I think there's just a lot of shame. Maybe we should have done something to prevent it. I don't know. It's, it's um, a lot of times just lies that we believe that keep us from speaking our truth and speaking, um, just getting it out, first of all. So when I wrote that article, um, I started researching and what I found is about 20% uh, of all of the 
sexual abuse claims are athlete on athlete abuse. And that's just the ones that are talking, right? So we have no idea really what the real numbers are. But when I started seeing that, I thought, wow, we've, there's, there's a lot of people that need help out there. There's a lot of people that, that need to know they're not alone. And so that's why I wrote my article. And <clears throat> when I wrote that article, you, along with so many people, reached out to me. I had people like you who had also gone through that. I had moms reaching out to me. I had coaches, um, current athletes, former athletes, high school friends. <laughs> just, just It was just this flood of people saying, thank you for, for writing this article. And that's where my book was birthed. Um, I knew that I needed to go deeper. I needed to go further. As I prayed about it, I felt God saying, I want you to write a book. And so that's how my book started. And so I wrote, um, for those of you that are in, oops, it's kind of a, for those of you that are in uh, the United States, you can find this on Amazon and Kindle. And then I'm sure Tracy can share the link uh, for the paperback. A little tough to get to, to you in, if you're in Australia or other places. Although <laughs> a little bit, <laughs> it did get here with a personal note <laughs> and a very beautiful message. Oh, so oh, it no. is possible in Australia. We're we are far <laughs> away, but the mail does get here eventually. Um, and Kim, just um, tying into that, the word that just hits me so hard in what you're saying is alone. And yes, yes. I knew just you feel alone and yes. everybody's got a different story. Um, for me, when I read your article, I connected because it was athlete on athlete and I connected to you because uh, you had walked through the same type of scenario. And I did not feel alone in that minute with one other person that was this unbelievably recognized swimming goddess. And I thought, yes, um, I'm not alone, keep going. And it was that just that article that allowed me to take one more step forward and keep moving in the direction of forward as opposed to uh, living in the past. Um, so in the beginning of your book, Master of the Mask, on page five, it's really powerful when you talk about something that happens to all of us on a daily basis. You go out your front door and inevitably you walk into a shop wherever you are somebody asks you how are you and what do we say without thinking <laughs> as you write on page five we say i'm great thanks it's mm -hmm. it's what we do although in most cases it's not how we are so today kim after all of these years and you sitting here i'd like to ask you how are you today I today um, have a sense of freedom that I never knew was possible. I never knew, never thought it was possible. Um, and I'm speaking to all of you that have gone through sexual abuse out there who are going to be watching this. Through God's grace, you can get through this and through a lot of hard work. Um, the first step is getting it out, getting it out because i know tracy and i've talked about this it's it's for so many victims we suffer in silence and there's no healing in darkness it's kind of like a wound right if you have a, a band-aid on on your body you got to eventually take that band-aid off and allow the light and allow the air to to help it heal that's the same thing with all of the hurt that we go through with anything in life but for sexual abuse victims, we feel so much shame and it keeps us in this prison of, of darkness and fear. And so the moment that I was able to start speaking it out and getting it out um, was, was the beginning of my road of healing. And today, after many, many years, and, and my, in my book, I talk about my story. I talk about my healing journey. Um, and I also talk about, um, I have a lot of information in the back that has a lot of preventative information and resources, but um, in, in the healing part, uh, I talk about the importance of uh, that mind, body, and spirit that 
we've got to attack all three. I realized at one point I was attacking maybe just one facet. And, you know, this, there's a book that's called The Body Keeps the Score. Um, it's a really good book. It's, it's, um, it talks about how a lot of times things can manifest in, uh, in our bodies and our minds when we don't deal with the pain, it has to go somewhere. And right now I'm currently dealing with probably a lot of the aftermath physically. Okay. So, um, we were chatting a little bit before I was like, yeah, I'm pretty tired today. And, and I am going through some treatment and things, um, just trying to get my body healthy, but so it's a journey, but mentally, um, so emotionally and spiritually, I'm stronger than I've ever been. Um, I didn't know Tracy and all, and to all your listeners, I did not know what it was like to not have fear. I lived every day in fear. And I can honestly say at almost 55 years old that I don't. Yes. Have almost fear. happy birthday in five days. <laughs> I saw that. Sorry to interrupt. But Mar is it March 26th? March 26th. Yeah. I mean, yeah. a happy early birthday. A <clears throat> lot of years. Know, yep. Yeah. But it took a lot of years to get to that point. And, uh, but yeah, today I'm, I'm doing, doing very well. I have to stay plugged in. My faith is extremely important to me. Um, I have to continue. Part of my journey was really, you know, the mind is, is a powerful thing, good and bad. And it's amazing uh, when I really started really capturing and thinking about what my thoughts were about how I was tearing myself down, of course, with shame um, that a lot of victims go through, which says I'm a mistake, which is such a lie. Um, and, and, and guilt says I made a mistake. Well, we didn't do either one of those. And, uh, and so part of this, this journey, a big part of my journey beyond just my faith was, was, and, and using for me personally, the word of God has been powerful to, to capture those thoughts and to reprogram my brain. The, the Bible says that we can be transformed by the renewing of our brain and that we need to capture those thoughts um, to, to take every thought captive unto the obedience of Christ, it says in the Bible. So, you know, but just even for those that don't believe in that out there, you know, that's a powerful thing to, to realize that this is what we need to capture and hear and to replace it with truth. Um, we, we believe so many lies about ourselves. It's a full-time job <laughs> really. Yes. And so, you know, I'm doing that today. I'm continuing to have to be on guard to what is my thought life? You know, what am I thinking? And so that's been a powerful practice and a powerful tool in my healing. So, so Kim, going back a little bit, um, and we will come back to this, um, because the shame and the lies and, and getting through all that is is a very powerful piece of this going back a little bit for our listeners and again kim details all of this in her book master of the mask very very eloquently um, so for more detail um, please pick up her book and you can hear more but just to give a sense of the the span across your life of the abuse um, that you've dealt with. Um, I've read starting at six years old, you were abused by a 13 year old boy on your block. Um, That's fairly girl. I, I, I really never, I, I was a girl. Wow. Okay. That was not yeah. in your book. Um, I didn't amazing. say if it was a girl or a boy, but it was actually a girl. Mm -hmm. Wow. Mm -hmm. And then uh, again, when you were the next time, 14 years old, 16 years old these were swimming competitions um three actually were when you were 14 16 and then was the other one how old were you then i know three were swimmers. so so i was uh so sorry i'm gonna turn my phone off here yeah <laughs> it started buzzing um i i yeah, six and then 14, I was actually at my very first, just, just a little background. I was at my very first international meet. It was right after the 1980 Olympics. We um, didn't get to go because Jimmy Carter boycotted. So 
the United States did not get to participate in that. So they did honor an Olympic team. I dismissed it by about four one hundredths of a second, um, which you know was I, I didn't even think I had a chance. So when I got that close, I was pretty bummed out, quite frankly. But uh, but after that, we all went to these. Um, they took part of the teams and went to China, and then the rest of us went to Hawaii. And it was there that I was I was sleeping in my dorm. We were staying at the University of Hawaii, <clears throat> and uh, I was just sleeping in the afternoon and, and one of the older swimmers came in and I woke, I woke up with him sexually assaulting me. Um, that was the first swimmer. This next swimmer was, I was at the uh, world championships. One of the, that was the best meet of my life. I came, got two silver medals there next to uh, Uta Gwinnaker, who was, you know, they were East Germans who were all on steroids and there's no way we we're gonna be able to to keep up with them, but that was probably the best meet of my life. And it was after that meet, I was actually, I was a virgin. I was raped by one of the other swimmers um, on the uh, team, United States team. Then the third swimmer was probably hit me the worst, even though um, the abuse wasn't as severe as rape, but I was sexually assaulted. <clears throat> uh, my senior, it was my senior year by one of my like brother figures that I grew up with at, in Cincinnati. And uh, that probably hit me the hardest because this was somebody I had known for years. And <clears throat> so that was the third swimmer. And then I went on to college and I went through uh, three more rapes while I was in college. You, so, don't, you don't talk a lot about those in your book. Is there a reason no. for that? Well, the book was, the focus was athlete on athlete abuse and just kind of touching. Um, and I, cause I just touched on the abuse I went through as a, as a kid as well. Um, so that was kind of more of my focus was talking about the uh, athlete on athlete abuse, which kind of piggybacked my article. But yeah, they, they, I, I, I mean, rape is rape. Of course it, it, it devastated me and it, it, I felt like I was just, I, I know from doing a lot of my research and I, I believe spiritually, they just have a sick sense of finding the victims. And that's how I felt. I, People in my that are book, vul I, vulnerable. Yeah, yeah they, they're, they're, I mean, I, I felt like I just had an antenna on my head, I used to say, and they could just find me. <laughs> it's like, here, find Kim, me. Um, something for our listeners uh, in terms of, you, you talk so well in your book and so clearly about the behavioral changes and the emotional changes that started to happen to you um, on the back of that third swimmer and going into college. We, you, you talk about eating disorders, alcohol, yes. uh, uh, drugs, pot. Drugs. Mm -hmm. um, you talk about everything and it's very, very clear that the physical abuse you silenced to self-preserve yourself. Who knows why mm -hmm. we do it many times, but it was self-preservation in mm -hmm. your mind. Um, but the physical traumas that you experienced after, are you able to share a bit about some of these addictions, um, the eating disorders, uh, the suicidal tendencies for listeners out there who are going through this today yes, when they're yes. in this pit of hell, so to speak. Yes, yes. What can you share with them um, from your experience about what you did, how long it took to find help, if they can get there sooner? Yes, yes. That is my prayer for anybody out there listening is that you can get there sooner than I did. It took mm -hmm. me till I was it's, it's, it's about the, the research actually shows that out of children who have been sexually abused, um, about 30%, about a third tell someone, a third, the median age is 48 years old, which is interesting because even though I told my story before that, I really didn't start getting healing and help till I was almost 48 years old, believe it or not. And then they say a third, never tell anybody. And so if, if you're out there and you have never told anybody, just know that, that you are not alone. You know, you have two people here who have been there and, and yes, it, 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 
it ran the gamut of everything that's pretty typical for me. Um, I started drinking when I was about 12 years old. And I think I was just doing it because with my friends, but what I discovered and, and hindsight's 2020, that it, it became a coping mechanism. Um, and that led to, uh, majorly I just alcoholism, drug addiction. I didn't just do pot. I got into doing all kinds of drugs in college. Um, I had an eating disorder after, uh, that swimmer that I knew, uh, on my team, um, sexually assaulted me. Um, but the mind, the mind, the depression, the PTSD, the just, just the anxiety, the fear, the shame, everything, it was all consuming. Um, and I, I, I just had that the shame kept me so silent and quiet for so long. And quite frankly, there were things that I didn't remember. Um, and I, I was married for 24 years and, and I got divorced, but in my first marriage, um, it was about two years into my, my marriage. And, um, I got majorly triggered, um, when I was actually being intimate with my ex-husband and something just triggered. And it's amazing. It, 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 sometimes you just be walking down the street, right. And it can, you can get triggered. Um, but I got so majorly triggered. I started remembering, um, you know, I think God puts that self preservation, that mechanism in us to protect us, quite frankly, I wouldn't have been able to deal with it back when I was six years old, um, quite frankly, when I was a teenager, but there were things that started kind of coming back and I couldn't handle it. And I literally found myself in a fetal position on the floor in the, the kitchen. Um, and at that point that I was only 26 at that point, I did start going to get some therapy because my ex was like, what's wrong with you? <laughs> I was like in a fetal position on the, I mean, it's not funny, but I, you know, I, humors have helped me get through a lot. Um, but, uh, and recovering alcoholics and addicts have a weird sense of humor too. <laughs> but anyway, um, you know, he knew something was wrong. And so I did, I did share what was going on, but I would go, I would go to counseling and then I would come home and drink cause I couldn't handle the memories. Mm. Um, so I, I, I really didn't get the help that I needed. Um, I, I was a, a new Christian at the time, but, but, you know, it's in that, I think that mustard seed size faith is really what kept me going for so many years. So the, the, the turning point, this is a really, um, this is a critical moment in your life. In your book, there's a time that you, uh, you mentioned in college, um, and I actually wanted to read it. it. Yeah, here on page 26, I knew my notes of all of them. I, I'd <laughs> use something. Um, in your book on page 26, you, uh, six, you say completely at the end of my rope. One day I decided to peel back a little piece of my mask and told my roommate about my eating disorder. Yes. And here I'm thinking, wow, you have struggled with so much sexual abuse and rape in your life. And yet it is so confronting in my mind when I'm reading this and so scary to you and so frightening that you don't, I'm thinking you're going to confide in her, of course, about the abuse and right. yet you bring up the eating disorder and i think as a sexual assault and rape survivor i get it it's so insanely confronting it's hard mm -hmm. to talk about if ever and here you were screaming out for help but you couldn't even put um, the actual core um, to words yet was this a turning point for you or was it more that moment on the floor with your ex-husband or was it a combination where was that when you heard your voice for the first time even when it came out in the form of saying i need help with my eating disorder that was a message you were hearing yourself cry out for help the first time you're hearing yourself uh, what was that like and was that the beginning of your road to freedom and truth well, to, to back up, to answer that question, 
I told one friend, I talk about this in the book. I told one friend when I was 17 years old about what happened to me with my brother figure. And she actually turned it on me. She, she actually told his, um, she kind of made it like I was cheating on my, my boyfriend at the time. And, and she told his girlfriend, she told my boyfriend that she just turned on me. And so I learned to not trust anybody. And I felt so much shame here. I had, and, and she had no idea what I had already gone through at that point. I had just shared that. So, so here I was, I was in this absolute dark pit and I just got deeper because of that. And I, I learned um, a, a bad thing, which was to never trust anybody, which is also a lie. We need to be careful who we tell, but not everybody is like that. Um, and so uh, when I told my roommate just about my eating disorder, that was a big deal. I mean, just telling a little something, I thought, well, I'll just test the waters, you know? And, uh, and, and, and quite frankly, at that point, I didn't consider myself an alcoholic, um, but the eating disorder was killing me. And I knew that I needed, I mean, the alcohol was, but I didn't look at that as, as bad as the eating disorder because it literally was killing me. And it, and it was all consuming. And so I, I call home, I call Cincinnati to Cincinnati and, uh, I, you know, that's back before cell phones, everybody <laughs> it was back in the eighties. And I, I told my parents, I'm coming home. I need to tell you something. They said, what are you pregnant? I said, no, oh. <laughs> they said, <clears throat> they said, are you on drugs? I was, but I was like, no, <laughs> I couldn't tell them that. I couldn't tell them that yet. One, one and, story at a time. <laughs> yeah. One, one little thing at a time. And, and so that was kind of the beginning. And then, yes, it's a combination. And then when I told my ex-husband that it was kind of, I think that for, for all of us, we are healed in layers. I, 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 I don't want to say that I didn't go through any form of healing, even though I'd come home and drink, but I, I think they were little baby steps. And, but, um, I do go on to talk about as far as the effects, um, I had major depression, um, that unfortunately went into two suicide attempts, um, in 1999 was my first suicide attempt. Um, and then in 2014, which is really what got the ball rolling for, everything that why I'm here now um, in, in my, my freedom was finally stripping away some, some of the other things that I was holding on to, like alcohol and all the shame and finally getting the help that I needed. <clears throat> I really needed to strip the alcohol away though, to finally be able to, to, to begin that real healing because the alcohol was keeping me numb. It was exactly where I wanted to be because I was just had so much fear, but I had to begin to walk, take those steps through some painful things in order to be able to come out of the fire refined, right? Yeah. It's kind of like, you know, and when somebody's heating up metal, you know, all those impurities come to the surface and you know, it's pure when you see a reflection. And I think that's what God does with us you know, he, he very lovingly kind of start when we allow him to do that. And it's a lot of hard work. I'm not saying we're robots. We have to do the hard work as well, but it's also about trust. And I think it's very lovingly brings those things, those impurities and all those lies and the shame and everything that us, uh, you know, victims of abuse. Now warriors, I look at it, at, mm. at you and I, um, that's have to, you know, get through. And, and this is a really, this brings us to the perfect um, second part of your book, uh, Master of the Mask, when I've read it three times now, and every time it hits me differently. The second time I read it, what came blaring through to me was the structure of your book. Part one, where you have your introduction. Part one is your story. You let mm -hmm. people know who Kim is. Um, all aspects of your life, and you give us a very wonderful understanding of all the components that make you up, and you include um, obviously quite a bit about the sexual abuse that has run rampant in your life. 
And then you move into part two, which is titled Path to Freedom. And <clears throat> in those chapters, The Long Road to Healing and chapter four, My Personal Journey <laughs> to Freedom. So after you've after you've discussed the the traumas and and set the stage for um, where where you are, you've found a way to open your mouth. Your voice sounded; it came out, and you ended up in a rehab center. So we've talked about mm-hmm, mm-hmm. very dangerous addiction, <clears throat> alcohol and drugs, um, eating disorders, which can kill you suicide attempts. Um, It doesn't get any heavier than that. And by the grace of God, you end up in rehab, which you talk about in this second part. Brilliant, because what you've done is you've paved paved the way for a listener like myself and for other people who will read this story and who have read the story that you don't have to get stuck in the trauma itself, there is a way forward. And this is what we're doing here today, using our voices, connecting our voices, consolidating information, education, um, and, and truth, and allowing listeners that need this to connect themselves to the next step, which in some cases, like yourself, was rehab. It may be different for someone else. I had the great fortune of counseling at the Santa Monica Rape Treatment Center um, in the UCLA Medical Center in Santa Monica, where I'm from. That is where I found my safe place, my Mm -hmm. trusting place. I found my voice and I've never looked back. So part two, Kim, you're in rehab. You are in a safe place where it's so critical for the next steps to happen because what you're talking about in the aftermath of assault and in your case, seven different perpetrators, uh, you need to be in, a, in an extremely trusting, safe place to speak your truth, to deal with the heavy issues that you've got on your plate. So if you'd like to elaborate or share a bit about how powerful that was for you as a way to show others as well that, okay, you're here. What is the next step? Where can I go? Where can I trust? If you have been completely betrayed in your life, it may be a parent that has abused you, a teacher, a coach. Who do you trust? You have counseling and and specific groups that helped you. So it would be wonderful if you could um, shed some light on that for us. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, when I wrote the book, I felt very, very led to not only share my story, but also my healing journey, because I felt like people needed something tangible, you know, for the people that were going to be reading it, whether they were abuse victims themselves, or whether it's a parent. Um, it, I just felt like something people needed to see. And it was my journey, obviously that, that I took, but I, I thought it was important just to show this, some of the steps I, I took so that it's something tangible as somebody can say, gosh, I can do this. I can do this. If she did that and it kind of shows the journey, I can do that. And so um, I thought that, that that was really, really key and important and why I shared it. But like I said earlier, I, I really, um, yes, my first step was was going to rehab. I had, uh, I was, I was there for 72 days. It was one of the hardest things, but best things I've ever done. And so just trying to stay sober for the first few years, that was, that was rough, 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 because, um, it, I had been drinking (laughs) for a long time. Uh, like I said, I was almost 48 years old and I've been drinking since I was 12 on and off, you know, not obviously not heavy when I was 12, but, um, but it, it took a, a long time. It took a lot of hard work. Um, I, I, I think that that, that athlete inside of me, it was like kind of rose up and I was like, man, I'm going to do anything, everything I can to get better. I'm tired of living like this. I think I just the more sober I got, the more hell, you know, I just realized the hell that I had been in and that the the alcohol was keeping me. It was keeping me from getting well. It wasn't protecting me. That was such a lie. 
And so, uh, you know, I, I had to deal with the physical, the withdrawals and deal with all that. But then I, you know, I had to, I went through the counseling there. That was just, I had an amazing counselor that I still stay in touch with, believe it or not. I just love him dearly. And he was, he just, he was awesome. He, he was kind of like a coach. He didn't let me get away with anything. <laughs> it's yeah. like, you know, I would try to, to say things and do things. He's like, yeah, you're not, you know, no, that's not no. going to work. You know, he is like, and I remember, you know, I've always been a really, I, I just am, I looked happy. Okay. For years, but I, I was putting on a show, but I believe my true self is a happy, joyful person, mm. but that was stripped away. And it's like, God is just beauty for ashes. Like he's just restored that in me, just that joy that, that had been stolen for so long. But I, you know, I've always put on, that's why I call it master of the mask. I, you know, I have people reach out to me that couldn't believe they said, you always look so happy. You, you, you know, we, we didn't think you had any problems, you know, and, and that's just how I tried to, to, I just didn't want anybody to know I was so ashamed and I had and just for victims out there. I know what it feels like to, to have so much shame and, and feel like you just can't tell anybody. How so hard. I had to. I had to die to all those lies. And so this, uh, the beginning was, was, was really difficult because I was so bombarded with shame and fear and lies. And, and I, I had to really attack, like I said, the mind, body, and spirit, because this affects every facet of, of your, your whole self, um, abuse affects you emotionally. It, it, it affects you spiritually. It affects you physically, it can, especially with me not telling anybody for that, that pain has to go somewhere. It literally became pain in my body. Um, I went into some chronic illness stuff uh, for a while, and that's a whole other story. But, but um, you know, finally just getting it out and start speaking out and just getting the help that I needed, it, it started just kind of just very gradually it was like a weight started lifting. It just kind of started lifting. And I also went through some, some Christian counseling and things for that's personally what I, I felt I needed to do. And, and God just did some major, major healing in my spirit, in my heart. And, you know, but it, it was a lot of hard work. It was, a, it was a very long journey. Which is moving, moving as, okay, so as an athlete, and coming from a life of high-level sports in my own world, um, breaking down to become vulnerable. So you as an athlete, from the time you were, you can remember, I'm sure, like any athlete, you train your mind, your body, and your spirit at some level to be unstoppable and unpenetrable. Um, we need to steal our minds, uh, not show emotion, not let people in. We, we literally train ourselves to wear that mask that you're talking about, whether we right. know it or not. So when we're having a bad day, it might not even be a trauma. Um, it could be anything, but any indication to an opponent that right. we are not 100% is a weakness to us. So yes. In, in, yes. My, um, in my journey, which I would imagine what I'm hearing from you with the alcohol and the drugs and breaking it all down, you actually would have had to come to some place to reconcile with being vulnerable for the very first time in your life. And as an athlete, an Olympic class athlete, that's at a level most people will never touch. Yet on an everyday basis, it's an enormous level to touch. Being vulnerable is not something people are comfortable with. It's not something that we feel necessarily good about it. Most people don't understand the power in being vulnerable as a weapon, especially an athlete like yourself. So when I'm listening to you going back and forth um, in 72 days of rehab and the alcohol fighting everything you do in your life, right. showing you're fighting being vulnerable, but yet you get there, you're in an unbelievable organization, institution, um, rehab facility to help you do that. And at some stage, 
you must have reached that level of vulnerability to start rising up because the next thing you talk about in the middle of this healing journey where you as an athlete again need to train your mind your body and your spirit you're, you're a professional at that you're now doing it in rehab the spiritual part for you is is something that listeners around this planet whether you're an athlete or not will take from the power of forgiveness kim the yes. spiritual journey that you took <clears throat> surrounded by the physical and the mental work that you were doing you now had to tackle probably one of the hardest aspects of the aftermath in what is forgiveness um i am just quickly going to read what page is it on actually i'll let you say it you have such an eloquent personal way of describing what forgiveness is to you well i just kind of real quick getting back to that vulnerability it reminded me of a, a brene brown quote and she's written a lot of great books but there's one called braving the wilderness is such a good book i had these books just here that were really great including you know the bible is the book that's really got me through everything but um but there's a quote that she said and i'm probably going to butcher it it's like vulnerability is not a weakness it's the most accurate measurement of courage you know that someone can have and i i i just really believe that when we like i said when we get things out in the light and we begin to allow ourselves to be vulnerable that's when the healing can begin and i believe it's very courageous to share your story um a lot you know a lot of people are so afraid to do that and you have to wait until you're ready you know to be able to do that but i i believe that vulnerability is 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 a beautiful beautiful thing and it, it does show a lot of courage just what you're doing right now and with with open stance um it's it's allowing people to be vulnerable and it's when we share our story it gives that somebody else permission right to to be able and and it, and it helps them have the courage to be able to speak their truth so i just hope and pray that people out there listening that that with hearing this that 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 will happen for you but yes, forgiveness, forgiveness was probably one of the, it was one of the most important things that I could do. Um, and I know there's out people out there that are like, that's ridiculous. I would never forgive someone who raped me. I would never forgive. And, and you know what, you have a right to do what, what you feel like you need to do. Um, but for me personally, um, I looked at it as a prison and I, and I heard one time that it's, it's a poison that we, uh, that, that, that we drink thinking it's going to, that's hoping somebody else is going to die. Right. That's and the quote. That's the yeah. Name. Yeah. And, and it's, people say that differently, but it's so true. It, it keeps us in a prison because let me tell you, that person may or may not ever say they're sorry to you they may never you may never even see that person ever again and here you're dealing with this anger and unforgiveness that's literally eating you up inside forgiveness is was for me it was a gift first and foremost what i believe jesus christ forgave me and what he did on the cross but I received that and I received the forgiveness, giving that same forgiveness to these perpetrators. It was a gift to me. It was the most freeing thing that I could do. Now, does that happen overnight? No. I had to, on my knees for years, <laughs> speak it until I believed it. Speak it until it became true. Speak it until I believed it. Till it became a reality because feelings are not the barometer of faith feelings are going to sometimes get you in trouble and i had to believe that that was what i was called to do and that was the best thing for me and i had to speak it until i believed it and so if that stirs anything up in anybody listening i want you to know that it's possible to forgive people of such atrocious things and 
I truly believe that was a huge part of my freedom. Did you also in that journey to freedom, were you able to recon reconcile the difference where the behavior and the crime of sexual assault is, is not necessarily the thing we're forgiving. It's our past that we're touching on, grabbing on, and we, we recognize and reconcile. And in my experience, accept our past. Our past is not something we can control anymore. We cannot change our past. So that moment of transformation or transcendence, when you finally believe in your heart that the past is there, but it's my reaction now to how I live today and how mm -hmm. I will live my days to come. That is my control in my power. Yeah. I can, I find forgiveness in that where I have accepted that. And now it's within my power to take that and do whatever I want with it. And that is where I find peace and the ability to move forward. That is my truth. That's why mm -hmm. Open Stance was born. Um, and for you, I the, the absolute passion that just came through your voice, that last bit there um, was overwhelming. And I can see what an incredibly immense part of this journey that forgiveness has been to you. So thank you for sharing that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, wow. So now, master of the mask. Brilliantly, again, Kim, you structure your book. I don't even know if you did this intentionally. It's, it's unbelievable. I think there's no reason schools should not be letting their students read this or facilitate these discussions. I for sure will be facilitating discussions with my own children, two young boys and a, a young girl. I'll be yeah. using the structure of this at a level that is understandable for them for years to come. Uh, so we've looked at your story, part two, which was the path to freedom through the rehab mm -hmm. and the healing. Um, and then that leads to, again, why I'm sitting here, why we're sitting here. This part three, call to action. Yes. You, you've moved through so many levels of the aftermath. And now here you are um, putting together in a book a way to prevent, share education, critical life-saving information that is so necessary and required for people to know, to have this in their, in their repertoire, in their brain, so that God forbid, if they're in a scenario where this, uh, something is happening, mm -hmm. they're watching mm -hmm. something happen, that we can prevent these crimes from happening, or if in the horrific situation that they have happened to you, you know what you can do straight away. Right. And right. you call part four unmasked, Kim, uh, no shame and beautiful butterfly. <laughs> What's, what is your message here? Is this, this is your call to action. Well, I, I, like, like I said earlier, I really prayed about it and I felt very led to, to write it. I, it was intentional how I did it. Um, I wanted it to be a, a quick read. Um, but I wanted it to be a resource. I wanted it to be like, for parents like you, for uh, uh, people who have gone through what we've gone through to be, a, be hopefully hope um, and encouragement to them. But it, it's, it's for parents, for teams, you know, coaches, um, a big thing that um, I, I, I really wanted to touch on is, uh, of course, because my uh, some of the things that I went through was in sports. And so they have something called safe sport now that in the United, it's, it is international, but I'm just going to speak on the United States. Um, any, any sport that's under the Olympic or Paralympic movement, like USA tennis, USA swimming, USA gymnastics, each of those have their own governing bodies. And each of them have, there is a, a safe sport, um, uh, out of uh, Colorado, I think Springs. Um, but then each of these governing bodies have their own safe sport departments. 
And basically what safe sport is, is to protect athletes from all forms of abuse. And it's great if they implement it. So if you are a, if you are a parent that has a child that's in any type of sport under the USA Olympic or Paralympic movement, like I just described, please implement safe sport into your program. And I would be happy to do a sky, uh, a, a zoom, uh, meeting with your team. Um, but there's, it's, it's education. It's, it's, it's a lot of just important information that, uh, parents and, and teams and coaches need in order to keep their athletes safe. So all of that information, if you just look up safe sport, um, you can uh, find out how to do that. Um, but yeah, I, I wrote the, the call to action. There's a lot of great um, information for parents, you know, just teaching them things like, you know, um, uh, just starting out kind of using proper terms for their body parts and how to, how to, you know, not to scare them, but to keep them safe from perpetrators and just some very, very practical information for them, for teams. Uh, you, and for you teams. talk, a, you talk really a lot about uh, warning signs and going back to when you Warnings, were 12, that's right. 12 yeah. years old. You're telling me earlier in our conversation today that you were drinking at 12 years old and started right. doing pot, uh, smoking pot and doing drugs. You're 12 years old. Right. War right. All I could think about were the warning First, signs. Yeah. Who were the people in your life that didn't pick up on any, how did you, how did you hide that? So, well, I was really good at hiding stuff. <laughs> my parents didn't well, know I was drinking. I mean, but yeah, my, my friends, you know, I did have a friend and, and it didn't, it took until college and we were all doing, she was doing drugs like me, but I had two friends that came to me and said, we're worried about you. And for them to come to me and say, they were worried about me. I was like, yeah. Oh, I'm something. And that was another, I remember being a wake up call, but but yeah, I, I talk about warning signs. I talk about um, um, also suicide prevention because uh, sexual abuse victims, unfortunately, are 10 times higher to have, you know, attempt suicide. And if it happened, if, 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 if they have been abused like me before the age of 16, that's even like three, four, five times higher. So I do talk about suicide prevention um, you know, I, I have resources like RAIN, which is the Rape, um, Abuse, and Incest National Network, which is the, you know, sexual abuse hotline, um, and it's 1-800-865-HOPE is the 800 number. That's, of course, in the United States, and then also the Suicide Prevention, Suicide Hotline. Um, so there's a lot of great resources that I, that I have in the book not just just prevention information but also actual places that you can call to if you are in a crisis which in um, my estimation and again going back to why i will be using your book as a guideline for teaching my own children as well as anybody else is um it's something that i i surely did not have at all and for for children and people to start at a grass grassroots level um, through education, uh, through schools, through families, to know these places exist, to have these conversations early. So uh, what you're talking about, when I woke up one day, there was no concept that there were people on this planet to help you. Um, right. And there are those people and organizations today, and you put it how you document it is so powerful and so educational that sharing your book um, with as many people as possible is actually a life-saving resource because it's it's on that preventative level, the awareness level, so that, uh, God forbid, this um, happens in someone's life. They know immediately they're somewhere in the, in the conscious, the subconscious, it's in there. I read about this. Um, I know there's a place to go. I can do something. Know that you can do something. And there are people that are trained and qualified and dedicating their entire lives to helping survivors of sexual assault, whether directly after a crime, the trauma, or 30 odd years later, or 40, 
whenever it comes to the surface. So that is a very powerful message to, um, to include in your book for everyone reading and listening today. And then the last part, like you said, beautiful butterfly. I just want to tell you butterflies have been a really, really, um, it's how God has spoken to me. Um, I, I feel like they've been winks to let me know he's there. I remember one time I was in, this was years, years ago before I really got help. I was kind of once again, letting down my mask, just speaking a little bit about what I was going through. Um, and with a friend and, and, and we were out crying and praying. We were just sitting in the car and it was this winter, it was winter. This is up in Vernon, which is very desolate, especially in the winter. It's just hay and flat. And, and all of a sudden there was a white butterfly that just was floating across. And we both saw it and we just believed it was, it was just God speaking just, and we had just been, she had just been saying, we need, we need a code. You need a code. Cause I was dealing with not just a lot with all, you know, they didn't, she didn't even know about all this really per se, but I was dealing a lot with stuff that was going on in my last marriage and um, what was going on in the home, which was at times pretty rough. And, um, and she said, we need a code. You need a code word that maybe just one word, just a text that I can know that I can just be praying for you. And all of a sudden this butterfly, this white butterfly is, is floating. And I was just like, That's we it. both go butterfly. <laughs> so butterflies have just been a, such a beautiful, and you know, just the whole, I, I share this and I'll share it briefly, but there was a scientist that was, had a chrysalis and he was the butter, it was like on his desk and he, and he was, he, he was watching it come out and they saw it struggling and he wanted to help it. So he snipped the little threads and, and the very thing he thought he was helping it. Um, it actually made it, the butterfly never flew. And, and he was telling that to another scientist who basically said, you know, that the butterfly needed to be able to build up the strength to be able to to be able to fly, you, you kept it as a cripple the rest by doing that. And I think that that's a beautiful reminder. And I share that in, in the book, because I think in order to become, and as I feel like I've become this beautiful butterfly, I, I think I, I'm thankful for the struggle. I'm thankful. There's, there was a song years ago that I heard. Um, uh, it was a Christian song, but it, it said, how would I know? How would I know you could deliver? How would I know you could, how, how would I know you could deliver? How would I know you could set free? If there had never been a battle, how would I know the victory? And so I think we need to remember that. Yes, struggling is very hard and the journey can be arduous and it can be painful, but it's so necessary to become a beautiful butterfly. And that's why I called it that at the very end. It's so necessary to be able to get to our freedom. And so don't be afraid of the process. Don't be afraid of it because the reward is so great. It's so great. It is. And so I just want to encourage you in your pain right now. If you're in the midst of that struggle, if you're afraid, just keep going, keep going and, and reach out to someone you can trust, get the help that you need because the reward is so great and you can get through it. If I can get through it, you can get through it. You really can. So, well, Kim, I think that is a very natural place to um, to close up. We've covered so much um, territory today, and is it's powerful and intense subject matter. Um, and yeah. the beauty the beauty of open stance is um, what I really love about this is that this is only our first episode. We have so much to share. Yeah. There's so many dimensions. Um, that we have available to offer uh, so many stories and experiences yet to put out there, which um, will be helpful to others. So this is just our first maiden voyage, and um, we will be back here for sure, the two of us, with with much more coming up. Yes. And yes. but yes, it's it's um, it is quite a powerful uh, segment, and I appreciate that you were able to be so honest and forthcoming with incredibly personal 
um, stories of your life and turn them into a vehicle of strength and hope and truth for all of those that are listening that need to be here and to see us sitting here two survivors that came together in this world yes. not not through sports which is what you would have assumed <laughs> from the from the surface but here we are and the insane motivation so deep here is that connecting these powerful voices um, is only strengthening us so i want to do this more and more and you have um, been so generous to come and, and be an example of what it can be for many others so um, you are a bright shining star um, you have a gold medal heart um, I'm honored to have you as a friend. Thank you for being here. And I will see you back here on Open Stance very soon. I'm so honored. I'm so honored to be your first guest. And I love you dearly. And, and you are a tremendous blessing into my life. And I know that this and you are going to be a tremendous blessing to many. So and we thank do it you, to, my friend. We do it together. Thank you. And I hope you feel like you were never to learn more about Champion Women and for help with any issues related to women in sport, such as sexual harassment and abuse, participation or pregnancy discrimination, please visit www.championwomen.org. And the U.S. Center for Safe Sport offers live confidential help over the phone on 866-200-0796 or visit www.uscenterforsafesport.org. Hi, this is Tracy Smith, and I would like to say a special thank you to the following people for contributing to the making of Open Stance. You are all an integral part of bringing this podcast to life. Alex Molchanoff, my editor, what a pro, thank you. Kim Rodenbaugh-Llewellyn for your friendship, support, counsel and your belief in me. Thank you for sharing your book, Master of the Mask as a resource. Nancy Hogshead Makar and Champion Women, thank you for paving the way and for your leadership. You inspire me every day. Elise Marie Hunter, thank you for providing me the rights to use your Spotify track, Light as a Feather. And to my husband, Jimmy Smith, your love and continued encouragement have helped make my vision come to life. Thank you for giving me the greatest gift of all, understanding. Jimmy, you have helped me, and that help will now help many others as Open Stance grows and finds its way to people who need its support and education. And to my mentors who have shared their brave voices, you are making a difference in the world by sharing your experiences. This podcast only works with your support. Thank you to my brother, Brady Height, Kim Rodenbaugh-Llewellyn, Nancy Hogshead-Makar, Gavin Badger, Aaron Aldrich-Sheen, and Amelia Thorpe of ameliathorpe.blog. And a special thank you to Life and Mind Psychology in Sydney, Australia. Thank you to the founder and primary clinical psychologist, Stephanie Allen, and your amazing colleague, clinical psychologist, Alana Carpin. Thank you all very much.